0: Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. This is Jeff Lerner, your host. Thrilled to be with you as always. And today, I'm extremely excited about our guest. Uh, his name is Jason Kalipa. He's the founder of NC Fit, which is a global fitness company. Uh, he was a CrossFit Games champion, which means he's as tough as I like to pretend to be or aspire to be. Uh, he's written a book called as many reps as possible, which has a, a deeper meaning, this AMRAP AMRAP philosophy that I can't wait to, to dig into. Uh, he's opened fitness locations all over Asia. He's a really successful entrepreneur and I'm just stoked that he's on the show. Jason, welcome to Millionaire Secrets.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Um, yeah, man. So, so let's dig in. I, I um, I got your name i mean i'll say this for everyone's benefit uh, i got your name from mark bell who's uh the the creator of the slingshot and uh, one of one of my favorite interviews i did god it's been a couple months and i'll say this to everyone if you, if you haven't caught the mark bell episode definitely go listen to that that was a really good one um and i'm i'm excited i love talking to athletes and fitness professionals you know one of my core values is is to eagerly do hard things well and especially crossfit i mean that's hard stuff. So um, there's so much I think we could talk about. Maybe, maybe we could start there. Like, tell me, sure. uh, tell me a little bit about CrossFit. Like, how'd you get into it? And and frankly, how'd you get so damn good at it?
1: Yeah. So I actually just got done doing a workout right now, which is why I'm in a tank. But um, I, uh, so when I was uh, maybe 15, 16, 15, I started working the front desk at a traditional health club, right? The normal one you'd see a 24-hour fitness, uh, whatever it may be. And over time, I got introduced to a gentleman who I used to sell gym memberships with. So in high school, I was working the front desk. When I got to college, I ended up turning you know, I started doing sales and I worked there full time as I was going to college. And a gentleman there introduced me to the website CrossFit.com. And at the time, you know, I had been doing a lot of bodybuilding type workouts. I had played sports in high school, didn't end up going on in college to play them. And so I got introduced to this idea of, you know, kind of the workout of the day. And I kind of fell in love with this idea of doing things against the clock. And, and, and what I found was I would cherry pick for a long time, but I liked the idea of kind of finding new movements I hadn't done before. I liked the idea of doing it in a group setting. And I liked the idea of fighting against the clock and really trying to get as much work done as I possibly could. So I found CrossFit in 2006. And then I ended up training there for a couple of years before I won the CrossFit games. And then I ended up competing in CrossFit at the highest level um, for the next eight years uh, until 2016.
0: Cool. So you know, I'm I have kind of this uh, like I was never a really great athlete, but I always loved training. Yeah, you know, I I just I don't know why I love the process, I love the grit, I love the pain, I love the exhaustion. I, I feel like <laughs> yeah, not to get all you know hyper spiritual, but I think that. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite quotes is is uh, by Carl Carl Jung. He said that uh, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering, and so I think in life we kind of have to find ways to suffer in legitimate ways, or else our mind will create literally create illnesses to allow us to or, or yeah to allow us to express our suffering in illegitimate ways. And I think that's that's one of the deep truths of working out. It's like it's meant to suck. It has to, yeah, to a, really do its job, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, most people would listen to you and they think that you're, you're uh, out of your mind, right? Like you like to suffer, you like to go through this. But the reality is, is that I think as a society, we need to put ourselves in more opportunities to hit adversity. Like mm-hmm. I just got done doing a really hard workout. I was hitting the, the end of my kind of threshold and I was able to push through it. Now, some of us, when they think about competing at the CrossFit Games or doing a workout, they think, oh, like, why would you ever want to put yourself in those positions? But the reality is that they, they, they start to callous your, your ability to overcome adversity in a very, like, low-risk environment. So, for example, if you go into a workout and you're like, hey, I really want to do 20 minutes, but you drop off at 15, you kind of feel down about it. Next time you do better, right? The reality is that's a way for you to push yourself mentally and physically. But at the end of the day, if it's five minutes, you're not going to die. It, you're, it's not a big deal. But you learn how to overcome that adversity and those challenges, which therefore then trend over really well into real life. So in real life, when things hit you really hard, you've at least been trying to acclimate yourself to adversity through exercise. That's, that's, That's the greatest gift that competing at a high level ever gave me was that ability to overcome challenges as adversity and compartmentalize those type of things.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I've I've been um, literally just this morning. I was reading one of my one of my favorite books, uh, Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled. I don't know if you've you've read that, but he talks about he's a he's a um, psychiatrist, and he talks about problem solving, and that discipline is always the tool for solving problems. And you look at life, and you go, okay, where where. Like you can't, when you go to school, I don't know about you. I never took a class in discipline. There was no discipline 101 taught at my school. It's like, where do you go to, to teach yourself discipline in a tangible way that's going to like seep into your bones? And I mean, it's the gym. Like what else do we have to become disciples of discipline, which is ultimately the tool for solving all problems. And I feel like, you know, the gym, I mean, gyms are cheaper than a therapist's office right
1: yeah a lot cheaper than the therapist office and so yeah i mean you know providing real world application here is for anybody who doesn't an exercise they're really missing out on a really beautiful gift not only to live longer for your family not only to allow fitness to ever inhibit the things you want to do if your kids want to go whatever right right but but they're they're missing out on the gift that it gives you in between the ears and the mental fortitude to to overcome adversity when it hits you and and I'm sharing that as a guy who, you know, in 2016, our daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And that's a really beautiful example of how, you know, as you, you, you train your mind, how when something challenging hits you in real life, you could use some of the skills that you've developed outside the gym, uh, in the gym to help you outside the gym. So I would highly recommend anybody who's not doing it today, go out for a 10 minute walk. And that's a huge win already right there
0: yeah a, amen and it's and it is it becomes this relationship you know relationships are challenging i mean they're wonderful but they're challenging because they you know equally depend on another person right but this your relate this exercise to me it feels like a relationship every day i'm learning i'm evolving i'm growing i'm challenging i'm expanding my my threshold and my vision of what's possible and yet you have total control over that relationship which isn't true in human relationships right
1: yeah and and, and just to kind of again give you something tangible to take home is this idea of fitness so i think a lot of people have a misimpression interpretation excuse me of what a good workout is hmm. i think that there's been so you know not to go off on a huge tangent but decades ago, the commercial gym became popular, and what they popularized is the idea of selectoralized equipment to minimize risk and optimize the amount of people you could service. That was the business model. Minimize mm-hmm. risk, optimize people you could service. Then, about you know, 15, 12, 15 years ago, if you look at the difference between a commercial gym versus a collegiate training center, they're night and day. One of them you need a coach, one of them is more dynamic, power lifts, Olympic lifts, etc., one of them is more selectoralized. I would recommend anybody who's thinking about where they want to go in their fitness to look at the collegiate way of training opposed to only looking at the commercial way of training. It's not, it's just something to open your eyes to that, you know, for example, CrossFit revolutionized the fitness space for this. And many gyms, including ours have been able to build off of it and create functional training protocols that could really get best bang for your buck. So what are we talking about? Three, four, five days a week. Get in your big lifts, your squat, your deadlift, your press. Get in those huge movers that move a large load and multi-joint. Then get in a 12 to 20-minute conditioning workout at a high intensity that's interval training, and you can be super, super fit. Gone are the days of being on the elliptical for an hour. Instead, try and focus on this other way of thinking, and the results will come really quick.
0: Yeah, I will say this. You know, I used to, um, I used to do a fair amount of cardio because – Mostly because I I liked the mental process that it facilitated. You know, you get in this almost like Zen-like state. And in fact, my business, ENTRE Institute, literally the ideation of that business happened on a long run. Um, And then I had to stop because my hips started to hurt. And now I do virtually no cardio. And I will say this. I mean, I'm just one anecdotal example. But I haven't gained an ounce of body fat. Since I eliminated cardio completely, I mean, I do a ten-minute warm-up on a bike or an elliptical just to kind of get the blood flowing because I go work out so early in the morning, I still feel like I'm asleep. But uh, but other than that, I mean, I, I I'm curious, what's your take on cardio in general? I mean, obviously, a CrossFit workout gets your heart rate up for almost the entirety. Is that enough, or do you feel like you need supplemental cardio?
1: Well, I man, I think you're, you're so. When we talk about cardio, most people think about is like um, a cardiovascular, like a an aerobic state and elevated heart rate, and kind of a longer kind of single track type thing, generally. But you could elicit a cardio response through weightlifting exercises done at a high intensity through a variety of different things. You know, if you're box jumping, kettlebell swinging, and doing dumbbell work, you could get a huge cardio response. And so what I would say is, yes, is there a place for long, slow distance training, like long distance running? Yes, of course. I ran a 10K yesterday, for example, right? Of course, 100%. Is there a benefit for in the morning to jump on a bike and listen to a podcast as you're riding the spin bike? 100%. But if you're looking for an all around, well rounded approach and you only had three days a week, one hour a day, what I would tell you to do is get into some type of big mover lift, strength train, because it's so important for your body, for bone density and all kinds of uh, health perspectives. But you need to know how to do it right. And then get in a 12 to 20 minute workout of intervals. So you could do, for example, um, I don't know, 10 push ups, 10 sit ups, 10 squats for five minutes, rest a minute, and then do that again. For example, you'll get a cardiovascular response, but you're using bodyweight exercises. You want to try and think about this, like kind of like this push-pull effect. So you're doing kettlebell swings, which is like a pull, and then you could do a, a push-up, which is a push. Right. You want to keep your, your body moving, and then you get that cardiovascular response you're talking about. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're only running, if you're only biking, if you're only lifting, you're missing on other areas. Try and have a more well-rounded approach.
0: Yeah and the, and the more of your body that's moving inside of you know the movement the more joints the more cardiovascular response just cuz the more raw blood flow you need to pump in order to supply all the muscles
1: yeah the more bang for your buck i mean if someone asked me hey jason what are the two best movements you could possibly do i'd say one is called a thruster which is a, a front squat all the way down and then press over your head yeah. you're moving the load so far that it produces a huge stimulus on you And the other would be a burpee, right? Where you drop to your floor, you do a push up, and you stand back up again. They just, they move your body through a very long range of motion. So they, they elicit a good response. Not to, again, not to go off on huge tangents about training, but I just think that people need to start thinking about when I'm done my workout, if I'm not feeling moderately exhausted, maybe I need to start switching up a little bit to get that, 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 that failure to overcome it and move on to the next day.
0: Well, I'll say this. You know, the nice thing about having my own podcast is I can talk about whatever the hell I want. And I love, my, my pod, if anything, my podcast, the best moments happen when I allow tangents to run. So don't hold back on tangents. Um, okay. So since we're down the training rabbit hole, you, you can tell like for a, for a non-athlete or fitness professional, I, I, I will go deeper than most on these subjects. I just, I love it. I've been, I mean, I had a, I used to go buy Flex and you know Natural Muscular Development magazines when I was like 15 years old. I've just always been super interested in this. Um, and at 41, I mean, it, it keep that that fixation keeps me in decent shape at least. I won't be winning any CrossFit games, but um, so let's let's then talk about the AMRAP philosophy. Sure. Is that is that something that you've kind of coined as part of your I philosophy? Mean,
1: yeah, I mean, I wrote a book called "As Many Reps as Possible," and really, what the motivation was is. So for a lot of years I would travel all around the world. We started off with, um, one, so out of college, I opened up a brick and mortar gym, right? Brick and mortar business, which, you know, not as many people are in these days. I opened one, two, three, four, et cetera. Then we, um, found an opportunity in corporate wellness. We expanded with corporate wellness to locations, um, in many different countries. So I was, I was on the road a lot and I was training and I was trying to balance how do you own a business, really trying to be successful there with, trying to win the CrossFit games while simultaneously I was married to my, you know, uh, high school sweetheart. We had one child at the time. We had another child coming. I started asking myself, man, how the hell am I going to balance all this? I just feel like I'm one foot in one foot out on everything. I'd be on conference calls with Asia while trying to get in my assault bike intervals. Right. <laughs> and it just wasn't working for me. And so one day I was just walking down the street and my wife asked me a question. I just looked over to her and I was like, babe, I'm really sorry. Like, I have no idea what you were just asking me. And it's because my body was somewhere, my mind was somewhere else. And I realized that if I kept going down that path, I wouldn't be doing anything. Well, I was just, I was just sloppy and, and, and and my wife and my child deserve better was my, my theory Mm -hmm. they do. And so, so after that day, I started asking myself, dude, I mean, I'm never more present, more focused than when I'm in the middle of a workout ever right? You're in the middle of a workout. You're trying to get as many pushups as you can in one minute. You're not going to go answer your phone. You're not going to dilly dally. You're going to do whatever you got to do to get as many pushups as you can. So I started asking myself, how do I blend that AMRAP philosophy fighting for as many reps as possible in my workout with what I'm doing in real life? And so what I started doing is I started breaking it down. I said, okay, I'm going to AMRAP everything. So from the beginning of my day, I'm going to look at it like, like riding a bike. Step number one, I gotta identify what am I gonna focus on for, for that time. Like right now, I'm focused on you and me. You don't see me doing anything else but this, right? So focus, then I'm gonna work hard at it, like pedaling a bike. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the duration of the day, I switch gears. So right now I'm with you. Earlier before this, I was I was doing my workout. That's all I was focused on. After this, I'm gonna go get into another business meeting. That's what I'm gonna focus on. When I get back home, I'm going with my family, I'm gonna focus on that. And I started compartmentalizing my day. And it provided huge benefits um, for me as I was competing at the highest level, trying to build a business and then then having a family. So that's the AMRAP mentalities. Be present, be focused in each thing you're doing.
0: Yeah, and it is. I mean, again, we talk about the value of a a consistent fitness practice. That's where you go tangibly in a a way that you experience very physically and very viscerally and very – you know, it's, if, you're, if you're doing it hard enough, you can't ignore it. You can't get distracted from it because it just freaking hurts. That's where you go inculcate these things and then you can go apply it to the rest of your life.
1: That's right. And, you know, and a good example of that would be, you know, I found that through workouts and then I'm still finding that through jujitsu a lot. So in, in, in my workouts, I definitely am rap, but I've also developed a level of efficiency and, and, and comfort. And so finding jujitsu has been really valuable for me because when someone's trying to choke you, you have to be present and focused. And so that's been another rewarding thing for me is to try these additional sports that require me to be present, focused, so I can then learn those skills and take it outside the gym.
0: Yeah. I, I, so I, I would love to talk some more about, uh, is that Brazilian jujitsu you're yeah. practicing? Yeah. I, that's another, another thing that I've not personally gotten involved in except for a brief window in my twenties. I, I did it for less than a year. Just, you know, I would call it like a hobbyist involvement, but again, I'm fascinated. i almost have like a romantic affinity for that, that methodology and that culture and those people. I mean, just what they do, I think is just so amazing. But before we circle back to that, let's talk a little bit more because I don't want to gloss over what you said. Like you weren't just like, oh, I've got a family and oh, I've got a business and oh, I try to work out. You were, you know, very committed to your family. You were not just, oh, I have a business. You literally, you had what, four, four or five of your own gyms, and you were opening corporate wellness sites all over Asia with a ton of travel. Yeah. So like a very involved professional life, right?
1: Yeah, like in, in 2013, 14. Um that was those were really tough years because I was um, at the top of the sport, right? I, I placed, um, you know, I was on team. USA say those years, I was at, I took second and third at the world championships both yeah. of those years, right?
0: You're one of the best. You're one of the best CrossFitters in the world while you're doing those other things.
1: Yeah, well, what was happening is it was just tough because you at the time I want to say we probably had 20 um, brick and mortar locations, um, and in in between corporate and and commercially owned. Um, and then it was the the balancing act, and it's just um you know that, that, that presence and that focus was what helped me drive that and then when my daughter got sick in two thousand and sixteen that 's when I took a step back in competing um, because it was just that was that 's yeah. what had to be done
0: that 's a, that's a whole other level of family <laughs> involvement for sure yeah, yeah I, I just found out for example, that a, a family member of mine um, actually is, is dealing with cancer and I told my team, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm on a plane tonight. I'm going to be gone the rest of the week. I'm, I mean, I'll be connecting via calls. But, yeah, when stuff like that happens, it changes your, your dynamic. But, but in general, I mean, you know, I, I work with a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and people that are trying to start or grow businesses. And, you know, I, I love everyone, but I hear a lot of bullshit. And usually bullshit shows up as I don't have time. And yeah, you know, so I just want everybody to take a moment here and realize we're talking to a guy who was one of the top CrossFitters in the world and managing a business with 20 physical locations and a committed father and husband. Like it can be done. And what you're saying is the way that it can be done is with this total focus AMRAP mentality that whatever I'm in, I need to be as committed to as if I had a 300 pound bar on my back that I was either going to break or get it back up off the ground.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to summarize it. Yeah, and, and I mean, I still till this day, obviously, I continue to use that mindset as we continue to grow our business, um, as our my family demands start to continue, um, all of that.
0: So let's talk about the business. I see the sign behind you, NC Fit, and it just clicked. Tell me if I'm <laughs> wrong, but but the NC, uh, the shape around it, is that the yeah. top part of Northern California?
1: Yeah, it is. So if so this right here is California, and so this logo was developed a long time ago. So essentially, what happened is um, we were early, early on. We were across at Santa Clara and crossed at Mountain View, across at Road City. We we had individual right like gyms, right. and what we said is we need one consistent brand for all of our locations because you, we didn't want to keep building up these individual brands. We wanted to summarize them into one. And so what we did is we created from NorCal, uh, excuse me, Cross St. Clair, Cross Mountain View, across whatever, we then created NorCal CrossFit. And they, they encompassed multiple locations around here. Then as we started to grow and expand, get into uh, you know, uh, corporate wellness and, and digital and different stuff, we said, hey, we want something that's more indicative of our brand. We want to be in control of our brand. So NorCal CrossFit converted into NC, which represents NorCal which is where I'm from. I grew up in the Bay Area. It's it's it stands for a lot of things to me more than just NorCal. It it, it means innovation and, and et cetera. Then we rebranded NC Fit.
0: Okay, so you know you you kind of casually mentioned you know growing across a, a series of CrossFit gems. and uh, I happen to have a, a really good friend who actually I also interviewed on the show. He's in real estate now. Name's Rob Lord, and again, I'll I'll suggest everyone check out that episode. He's actually my best friend growing up from high school. I met him in driver's ed, Um, and he's doing some really cool disruptive things in real estate now. But he used to own uh, a cross-functional training facility in Dallas, and it was not CrossFit. Um, He had his own kind of concept and brand and everything. But uh, I remember at one point talking to him at great length about the difficulties that most CrossFit gym owners have a making the model work even just at a single location and b ever expanding to multiple locations. Like he at one point, he was talking to me because I do digital marketing and digital training. He was like wanting to create a course to help these small gym owners actually be able to grow their gyms because there was such a world of people struggling. So I have some perspective on the fact that what you did with your CrossFit gym is not what everybody does with their CrossFit gym. It's not like just a a turnkey plug-and-play; it grows like like a weed type of business. It's hard, and so I'd love maybe you could talk a little bit more about why you think you were successful uh, in that business before all this other stuff happened.
1: Yeah, I mean the brick-and-mortar business is, is is tough, right? You have a lot of overhead. You have a lot of people to manage. You're in the service-based business, and um, you know I think we caught we caught the the CrossFit kind of growth at a good time in 2008. And my competing and attracted certain coaches that were really bigger, big personalities, excellent coaches, and it just attracted excellent people coming into the gym. And that's what really helped us grow in the brick and mortar. And from from the beginning, we really treated it as a business. So one of the things that I had benefiting me a lot, and still to this day, was surrounding myself, especially early on, with people who treated their business, like a business, not just a hobby. And one of the challenges we have in the CrossFit space is that people love fitness. They get into it because they want to change people's lives, Which there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually really important, but they miss the part of when they open a business, they're no longer a coach. They're now a business owner. And so that was the mindset we took from the very beginning was this idea of growth, create opportunity and treat like a business while simultaneously, obviously providing an excellent service.
0: So wait a minute. Are you saying that just being competent and passionate about a skill or a trade doesn't automatically make you good at the business of being in that trade. I wish
1: so. I wish it was so, but no, that's not the case. You know how it goes. I mean, you have a really good chef who can't run a restaurant. You can have a really good um, barber who's not, you know, you got the world's best barista. It doesn't mean they're going to go open up Starbucks. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is, is that you could be extremely service oriented, excellent at your craft, but the craft of coaching, the craft of Mem, uh, employee management, the craft of owning and financials are all different crafts, and, and delegating that is really important.
0: Man, if only there was a place that people could go learn the actual skills of being an entrepreneur and, and growing a business. Man, that would be. Oh, wait, there is. It's called Entre Institute. It's my company. No, sorry. You, t- <laughs> you, you lobbed that up for me too well. Um, I lobbed it. But but it's serious. I mean, it's for real. I get people ask me, they're like, well, why do I need to learn like it's this opaque thing because it was never taught in school. Therefore, it's like not a real subject. But, but I mean, when you say that you from the beginning set it up to operate like a business, maybe, can you expand a little bit on what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. I mean, at an early age, I was, I was you know, I started a couple of companies um, while I was in high school and college. Um, and you learned really early on that it's not all fun and games in that there is real expenses and real overhead and there's real people involved. And with people, you know, you got to learn how to manage them effectively. Um, but just, you know, uh, when I was going through college, I had the owner of the gym who really took me underneath his wing and taught me a lot about the business side of fitness. And then I then replicated that as we built our business. So that was, that was was that was extremely helpful. Things like you know, PNLs, what are your numbers like? I mean, he would call me every single day. Hey, what are our sales at? Where are we at? And those are the things that really ingrained in me as I built into um, owning our own company.
0: So, yeah, I mean, in props, it, you know, again, just props on, on succeeding in that business model that at least from my, you know, small base of, of experience sounds very difficult, very competitive. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a community gem on every corner. You know and and it's usually run by a a fit guy who's passionate about training and yeah um it you know probably what one out of a hundred ever really emerge as a big brand that makes a significant impact um and so you know congratulations on that i uh you mentioned your your daughter got leukemia um is that something you're comfortable kind of sharing about
1: yeah 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 i mean yeah she's doing well so yes
0: Yeah, I mean it's I just think that so often in these business conversations and these, you know, like everybody idealizes. I mean, entrepreneurship has become such a such an Instagram filtered cliche now, right? It's all about who's on the cover of fast company and who did the latest tech, whatever. And it's probably even more so for you being in Northern California. But the reality is entrepreneurs, they do really hard thing. They do a really hard thing and they still have to be actual people with families and lives and what was that i I don't know i mean could you share maybe what you what you experienced or what you learned from going going through that journey with your daughter yeah
1: i mean i think it's it's you know you should if you're not money if you're not motivated to kind of grow and reach your potential right one thing to think about is that if life throws you a curveball you want to be as prepared for it as humanly possible and that means mentally physically emotionally financially etc And I think for us, we were in a really, we were in a good position to take on that news as best as you could. um, While simultaneously, it really sucked and it sucked for a very, very, very long time. But the point being is that, you know, what I learned about it is that, you know, kind of develop your team. So at the time, this was 2016, um, you know, we had some staff of ours really step up, do an incredible job to help run the organization as I kind of shifted my focus. So that was a huge blessing. We had the family around, so they were able to take my son, because we were in the hospital a lot for, so the way leukemia treatment works is, is a two and a half year treatment, um, and so we were probably in the hospital for maybe like, I don't know, five, six months, maybe, um, give or take, maybe, that's like maybe maybe four or five months, um, all in, right? You'd be in for a couple weeks, out for a couple weeks, in for a couple weeks, out for a couple weeks, and it depends on how she was doing and
0: Whatnot. That's where you see like the kids in the cancer ward, where they're almost like living at the hospital for a period of time. Is that?
1: Oh, oh yeah, what that was that?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, you'd be in the hospital because what happens is, you know, a lot of people they, they don't know that much about it. I mean, first off, there's a ton of different types of cancers, of course. Um, one type, you know, is, is leukemia, which is you know it's a blood-related disease, and so it takes a long time to cure it. And you use steroids and chemo and whatever. Um, but, but what happens with these, these children is that when they get a temperature, it's a really bad thing, especially if they're neutropenics. What happens is she would go in almost every day for blood work, but if you're a neutropenic, which means your ANC, which is basically your ability to fight off disease, was below a certain number. If that was the case, it was like a red flag. And then if you start getting a, a temperature, it was, like, it was like a, you know, it's a double red flag. Right, and right. so that meant you had to stay in the hospital until that fever went away. Because the fever meant your body was fighting something. So because of that, we'd be in the hospital for weeks on end until the fever went away. Or God forbid, it turned into something really bad. And and that happened a few times too. So, you know, but as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, it's really difficult. And it just teaches you to kind of take what's in your control today and really try and optimize your business, try and grow your business, get into a place where you have a team to support you so that if life throws you a curveball, you could be able to handle it.
0: Yeah, I I'm I appreciate that you said that and and I'm obviously so grateful that you know it sounds like you've come out the other side of it and it's uh it's a uh, it's in the rear view. I mean, and and I'm happy obviously for your family. But you know, I think a lot of people that say and I'll admit it, I have an agenda which is I want to entrepreneurialize the whole world. So, that is what it is. Doesn't mean I want every I think everyone should start a business, but I think everyone should think entrepreneurial. I think everyone should be trying to build leverage and systems and and you know, at least as much process automation as possible in their life because of exactly what you just said, which is that when life punches you in the face, it, very often the most valuable asset you have is time to be able to go deal. And you don't want that to be stacking up against your allotment of vacation days and sick days. And then you're out and you're done and you're bought, you're going to get fired, you know, which is sadly that's most people's realities.
1: Yeah. In entrepreneurship, we were talking about this earlier. It's not for everybody. I think you could be an incredible, you know, number two or number three or finance or this or that. I do think that there's this alluring sexiness to entrepreneurship because of Instagram and Facebook and whatever people think it's all rainbows and unicorns, but entrepreneurship comes with a lot of struggles and ultimately there's a blessing that occurs. The blessing is the bonus is on you. You know, when I was in college and I was selling gym memberships, I loved it because if I was successful and made a big paycheck, it was on me. If I didn't have a good paycheck, it was on me too. But it came with a lot of pros and cons, right? Because it, it was in my control. But if you can't level up or, or, or if you're not putting yourself mentally in that mindset to have that pressure, it could be really detrimental if you're not ready for it because the pressure is on you to make these big decisions, to make the, the ultimate call. And that's not for everybody. And if they put themselves in that position and they're not ready for it, they could be doing way better if they just found a different position that maybe they're uniquely qualified for. And so I think each person needs to reflect on, Hey, what am I uniquely good at? How do I enhance that position? Right. While simultaneously looking for other opportunities, if there is something to have a little bit more of this, because when I think about an entrepreneurial mindset, I think about this growth mindset, this idea of reaching your potential, but your potential doesn't have to be in owning and operating a business. It could be in something else entirely different within your job scope that you're just uniquely qualified for. So if you did get hit with the, you know, challenge. Other, other companies would be lining up to hire you because you're so damn good at what you're doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we, we completely agree. When I say entrepreneurialize the whole world, I don't mean everybody needs to go start a business. I mean, everybody needs, I would suggest, I mean, I can't tell everybody what they need to do, but <laughs> I, would, I would suggest, I offer up that constantly living under the question of what would an entrepreneur do? In this job in this situation
1: yeah that's good yeah
0: right? that's right yeah. How, how would i apply entrepreneurial thinking to this right now and part the of mindset. that and part of that with the amrap philosophy is look when your daughter doesn't have and this this is my call to the world when your daughter doesn't have cancer when when you're you haven't been in a car wreck and your back is screwed up for six months or when, when you have when you're not in the middle of one of life's massive disruptions you have to work like you will be tomorrow because if you're not in one of those situations, I, you know, com- I see so many people that think they have time and they're complacent and they're they think they're on a good, a good enough track. There's no such thing as good enough because the reality is tomorrow your daughter could get diagnosed with leukemia and then you are going to be kicking yourself going, why didn't I double down when I could so that I could grow the business? or automate the position or hire the staff or create the processes that allow me the time to go live in the cancer ward with her for a month. But instead I have to keep going in because I didn't work as hard as I could when I had time to do it.
1: Well, and, and look, you're talking about business. Well, you're talking about a lot of things. But I, I would say that in all, in all areas, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's evaluating your relationships. That's evaluating, you know, how strong, how, what, what, what type of hedges are we building here financially, physically, emotionally, right? All, all those areas, right? How can we stack the chips in our favor so that if you aren't exercising and, you know, for example, you, all you're doing is just building a hedge. So if you're exercising on a regular basis and you do get in a car wreck, you're probably going to be better positioned to recover from that. If you are going through this challenge, but you've financially put yourself in this position, that's going to help you as well. And so it's in each area of your life trying to build the hedge and have that entrepreneurial mindset like what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned when I was a, a kid, I was, you know, sort of a, a fan of like bodybuilding, and I read, you know, Flex magazine and Muscle and Fitness and stuff. And I remember reading an article about a bodybuilder. Now, admittedly, he probably—I don't even think it's probably—he definitely did steroids. So, like, that is what it is—a whole separate conversation. But um, you know, which you just have to do if you want to compete in that industry, at least in the last thirty years, like post post Arnold, anyway. But um, but he got cancer he was a competitive bodybuilder and he got cancer and he went through like an intense you know six months i don't remember it was six or 12 months but like a super intense extended round of radiation and chemo as one of those treatment protocols that that takes the average person and and you know they come out of it looking like they've been in a concentration camp they're just it's total wasted and and gaunt he came out of it he looked like a normal guy because he had so much you know muscular cushion in the beginning that all the wasting did was just bring him back to where like you know a guy like me is today and it, yeah, it was I a mean, great metaphor for what you're talking about
1: yeah i mean it's good motivation right it's that that idea of kind of preparing yourself for the unknown and you could do that in a variety of different ways but including you know trying to stack up your business right i mean look at covid I mean, COVID came in and kicked a lot of people, including yeah. our business. I mean, our brick and mortar, I'm sitting in a location right now it has been closed for 10 months. Um, you know, and, and so if you don't have diversified revenue streams, if you haven't established the team, if you haven't looked at your expenses and, and really tried to look at your business as an entity and said, hey, you know, are we a strong entity? Do we have multiple legs to the table? Are we prepared for the unknown? And then looking at all other areas of your life and trying to you know, imply that same mindset, I think it's really valuable. I think it's, it's definitely not going to hurt if you have that mindset.
0: Yeah, I know that's uh, that's one of the things that Charlie Munger, uh, Warren Buffett's partner in uh, Berkshire Hathaway, that's one of the things he talks about is he does like a worst case analysis periodically on their whole portfolio where he literally imagines like what is the absolute, like most like Hollywood level calamity that could befall our, our business. I mean like independence day, like aliens invading. And, and would we be okay then? And if not, he gets proactive now. And yeah. you know, that, that type of analysis on, on like to your point on our whole life is, you know, everybody thinks it's not going to happen to them. And then it does. And then like you said, COVID and in that case, it happens to everyone. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you could go crazy thinking about, you know, uh, aliens coming down, but yes, I, I wow. agree. Like, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely parameters that you could think about. And I don't think anybody thought about a virus doing this to, to the world. But that being said, there's a way that you can kind of like look at things and say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how extreme or likely is this? Very, very, very unlikely versus eh, moderately unlikely. And then you could prepare yourself at a certain gauge and then, and then see where you end up
0: at. Yeah, I mean, I think the key to the worst case analysis, because like, I mean, as you, I didn't even think it, because I'm so not like this. But you bring up a good point, which is some people run away with that and essentially become paralyzed and and debilitated by fear. The key with that kind of analysis is to limit your set of considerations to only things that you can control.
1: Right. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, And then you know, start to armor up. Yeah. Start to armor up those things. Your bo- and, and it's always going to come back to the same things. It's your body. It's your finances. It's your relationships. I, I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else even to, to, to worry about? Body, re- health, relationships, and, and finances, and, and career? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I Yeah. Mean, I mean, think about it. If you're not getting, you're totally right, right? You can get in for your workouts. You can start optimizing your team. I mean, if, if you do own a business, there's a lot of things you could be doing right now. And just thinking about what those are and start working towards a path on that is number one.
0: So then, then you know, if you're comfortable sharing, you don't have to, you know, expose any any IP or you know new plans that you're not ready for the market to know about. But in general, what are you doing? How have you adapted to COVID?
1: Yeah, I mean, so obviously our brick and mortar has taken a huge hit. Um, we've had to consolidate there, kind of think about what that strategy is. We've moved outside in some areas, um, but our model, so our business had the corporate wellness vertical. We had the brick and mortar. Then we had a digital model where it was a B2B product. So what we did is we sold our plans, our workouts, our everything we do in our gyms, we sold them to other gyms. And so we built up a large audience there that has sustained us quite well from a digital perspective. But we also have an end user product um, that we're releasing here pretty soon. So we're pivoting from brick and mortar and corporate wellness to Um, additional digital products specifically for the end user. And we didn't really focus as much on the end user before, but now we're gonna start shifting more in that direction. So you'll be seeing more and more of that come out. We'll have a new app released here in the beginning of the year that I'm really excited about.
0: Cool. Well when the, you know, I don't know exactly when this episode will be released, but when that app comes out, send us the link and we can, even if it's after the fact, we can go seed it into the description wherever this appears.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, we're gonna have on-demand workouts follow along, we'll have daily workouts, we'll have a lot of that stuff. So if people are looking for the workouts I was describing earlier, right, we're gonna have a great platform for them to be able to do that on.
0: So are you sorry, I'm I'm looking through my notes. There was something that I was like, I can't forget to ask him. Oh yeah, it was the the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Tell tell me about that. When did you get into that?
1: Um about five years ago. So About five years ago, I got introduced to it. Earlier on, I had been introduced to it a long time ago. We used to have jiu-jitsu right above where we used to train at. And so um, I got introduced to it maybe, I don't know, eight years ago. Then after that, uh, I kind of got out of it because I was competing at a really high level in CrossFit. And so once I stopped competing professionally in CrossFit, it was a really good opportunity for me to shift back into it. And like I said, I mean, it's a great thing from a mindset perspective. It's also a good thing as a coach. So as a coach, it's really nice to go put yourself in a beginner perspective, right? back in kind of like a, a new learning phase i think what happens is we become experts at something and we forget what it's like to be brand new at something again and so exploring rock climbing or surfing or doing something new i think is important Jitsu gives me that opportunity on a regular basis to go explore new things which makes me have more empathy and makes me a better coach can like relate more to people when they're learning a new skill so um, i've been doing jitsu now five years i'm a purple belt um, the way the belts go is it goes white you stay there for a while then blue you stay there for a while and then purple Uh, brown and then black.
0: Yeah. I remember when I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in my 20s, again, I I didn't do, I did it less than a year. But I I remember there was a certain sort of energy knowing that the guy that was, you know, instructing me, like literally he could like kill me. Like, it would, you know, if he just got mad and threw his scruples out the window, like, I mean, there was nothing I was going to be able to do. But there was something that, Like you, like you said, some something so like gentle and empathetic about that relationship. It's almost like like parent child. We're like I'm there as a child. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, so there's a certain level of respect that has to go throughout the entire school because if someone gets out of line, you could really hurt someone or, to your point, kill somebody. And so I think that's an important note to take: is that across the whole ecosystem, as you're training, there's that overall thread of mutual respect. Cause you're all trying to improve. You're all trying to get better and you're all trying to learn skills that could really hurt somebody. And so it starts from the top down. And um, I'd say more so than most, you know, CrossFit had this in the early, early days, this kind of like tribe mentality where people were learning new things and they were always trying to share knowledge because they wanted to elevate each other. Jiu Jitsu is very much like that today where you're sharing a lot of knowledge and information back and forth to enhance each other moving forward. And it's kind of a tight knit community because it is so hard you know just like crossfit or just like training is really hard it kind of weeds out the people that don't have the same mindset of growth potential because of how challenging it is i mean you probably saw that in your first year especially in jiu jitsu you know you go in you walk in for your first class get your ass kicked most people they go in for a couple more and then they'll probably you
0: know, they'll they'll probably give up right so yeah you mentioned the tribe mentality you know that's that that's probably worth riffing on here for a minute you know, so we talked a lot about entrepreneurship and and entrepreneurs historically, and I think sort of in the, in the, the romance of entrepreneurship, there's, there's very much this like lone wolf, you know, model of entrepreneurship that like it's the guy who's alone in his garage tinkering or coding on his computer. But the reality is growth and longevity typically evolve in tribal context. You know, you need community. To really see things through, and I think that's—I I don't think I know because I hear this—is a lot of people get into the entrepreneurial journey and they just say, like, I had no idea it was going to be so lonely. So I'm curious, what do you do to uh, not experience that? You know, is it kind of lonely at the top? How do you stay connected, and what what's that part of your life look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It is—it is lonely because, back to what I was saying, is that you you take on a lot of the risk liability you take on that decision-making, which is good and bad, right? Because it's in your control. But, if you, but not everyone can relate with that same mentality, right? Because not everybody is there. So I think to create that level of triedness, I think you have to network with other CEOs and entrepreneurs like Mark Bell or like other friends that we have so you can talk about things that you can both relate to. It's like when you have a kid. So when you have a kid and you have a bunch of friends and no one else has a kid, and then all of a sudden you have a kid, it's hard for them to relate to the fact like, Hey, I got to go home like at eight o'clock cause I got to go wake up at 5am to go feed my baby, whatever. Right. 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 You, you can't relate to it. It's the same thing in entrepreneurship as a CEO. Sometimes as you, as you mature, you, you'll have certain people in your circle and friends that, that they, they just aren't in the same situation. It's not like having kids or not kids. It's just, you just don't have it. And so finding similar people with children, or finding similar people with businesses, you can then start having those discussions on a really real level because you're both going through similar things. What I've realized over the years, and I'm sure you have too, it doesn't matter if you're in the you know, e-commerce business and click funnels and brick and mortar, most businesses most of the time have the exact same issues. And uh, it, it's just the way it goes. You know, it's people, it's leadership, it's growth, it's, it's sales, it's marketing, it's branding, all the same things just in different fields.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was listening to this book this morning, um, and it's called. Uh, it's a Dan Kennedy. But are you familiar with Dan Kennedy? He's like this. He's like this legend of direct response copywriting. So for like digital marketers, you know, we're always obsessed with like words that sell and how to drive human behavior. You know, cl- click here, go here, do this through through just words. That's all you have, right? Right. And uh, Dan Kennedy's like this guru. But he has a series of books called no, the no BS series. There's like 20 of them. It's no BS copywriting, no BS people management, no BS, you know, selling. And, but it, I was listening to his book this morning. That's on managing people. Uh, like the, it's called like no BS. I can't remember. It's the no BS guide to, you know, ruthlessly managing people and generating profit in your business or something. And as I was reading it, I was like only business owners, could, could appreciate this book. Anyone that doesn't own a business would think this guy is the most heartless asshole because he's talking about the realities of depending on your people who, as he puts it, you, you have, there's a certain element of like a fundamentally adversarial relationship with, which is like you want more from them than you're having to pay them and they want more money from you than they're will, than they're wanting to work.
1: Hundred percent.
0: You know, and you're wanting your business to be the most important thing in their life when really they're thinking about their husband or wife who just wants them home at six o'clock. And like, there's this tension. But anybody reading this book would be like, "Man, this is a really dark, cynical way to look at it." Except for me as a business owner, I'm like, you know, the truth doesn't have to be pretty, but it's true. And it's to your point. Like, there's just there's a language that we speak that may not only may not be understood by other people, but could be even off-putting.
1: You could be off-putting and, and, and I have to be really careful about that. You know, when I got into this thing and you know, I started a company when I was 22 and as it grew to more and more staff and whatnot, here we are 13 years later and I became a little jaded and I have to be really careful not to become as jaded because because people sometimes surprise you, right? Right and wrong. But but in general, you know, I saw this from my father-in-law. My father in laws had an engineering company for maybe 40 years. He's been In the trenches maybe okay 30 years in the trenches and i remember one day i was talking to him and he just seemed so damn jaded just just so like and i'm like why do you sleep so jaded and it's because of years and years and years of seeing the same thing over and over again and being burned and this and that and i have to remind myself not to get that way because i just i just don't think that's the way to go um but it's hard not to when you see similar things and similar behaviors Continue to come up, probably close to what this guy was talking about in his yeah. book. But if you haven't seen it, he probably seems like a total jerk.
0: Well, but this is a great example of a conversation between you know like-minded peers with similar challenges, where essentially you and I are reminding each other, like, yes, this is something we all deal with, but don't get jaded, uh, or, or because it, the there's a price tag to that too, and two wrongs don't make a right, right? Yeah. Um, So it's a great example of the types of conversations that, you know, entrepreneurs really should seek out in collaboration. And by the way, my advice to any entrepreneur that wants to expand their network is start a podcast. I've got the most amazing network now, just literally because of this podcast. But um, well, listen, man, I I, want to respect your time and and we're technically up on what we allotted for this. This has been an amazing conversation, Jason. I literally (laughs) feel like we could talk for, you know, 20 more hours and probably just only quit when we got tired and fell asleep. But, um how can the world go get more of your goodness how, whether it's socially or in terms of your business or products how can the world find you
1: Yeah I mean best place to probably find me is on Instagram at Jason Kalipa. um you could also you know go on Instagram and see our company nc.fit um you can go to nc.fit we'll be updating that with a lot of the new products new things we're releasing cuz we're pivoting our business um quite a bit and um, that's a great place to find me. And if you want to go check out the book, it's as many reps as possible. It's available all over the place, but um, Amazon's probably the best place.
0: Okay. Yeah. we'll get all those links and put them in the description. So um, honestly, man, I just appreciate it. I'm grateful that you came on millionaire secrets it has been a wonderful conversation. I'm excited to get the feedback. You know, the podcast has grown enough now that every episode I get a, a decent amount of feedback on from people. And I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of love for this episode. So, thanks again for uh, making the time, Jason.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I hope everybody has a great day.
0: Yeah, awesome. And thank you to all of you watchers and listeners out there. You are the best part of Millionaire Secrets and why I get up every day and do what I do. Take care. We'll talk soon. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.